Welcome to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic health coach, Reiki practitioner, and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, recipes, services, programs, and ebooks. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. Remember my disclaimer, the information in this podcast is general health and nutrition advice and is not a replacement for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, submit it on the podcast page at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join our Facebook group, Wellness Wellness Podcast Tribe. Okay, I gotta make this intro short and sweet because I have a very long episode for you, but it is an excellent episode. As you listen to this, I will just be getting back from the NTA conference, and in this episode, I'm chatting with my friend Karian Johansson, who I actually met through the NTA. We are in the same LA class when we were on our journeys to become nutritional therapy practitioners and along the way became very good friends. So clearly, Carrie Ann is also a nutritional therapy practitioner, but she is one of the most special human beings I've ever had the pleasure of meeting in my whole life. She's truly one of the most inspirational women I've ever come across and has a way of communicating and expressing emotions that I just, it's very hard to find people like Carrie Ann in this world. She's affected me in so many ways that I don't think she even knows. And I really want all of you to get to know her better and to learn more about her story so that you can experience some of that Carrie Ann magic as well because she has an incredible story of battling cancer and surviving cancer and now being pregnant. And it's all come full circle. And her story is incredibly inspirational and it's one of hope. It's also one of faith and courage and personal growth and purpose and how things come full circle and why do we go through the things we go through and how does this affect the people in our lives and just so many lessons to be learned from Carrie Ann and her story and I feel so honored that she was willing to come on the podcast and share everything. And I mentioned this in the episode, but it was the first time I had ever heard her full cancer story because even though we've been friends for a while, I purposely never asked her because I I knew I always wanted to have her on the podcast to share this. And I knew I was going to get very emotional whenever she talked about it. So I just wanted it to be very like in the moment. Um, So I'm hearing all of these details the same way you are. But Carrie Ann and I just have so much in common, and I knew when I first met her that I wanted to be her friend. (laughs) The feeling apparently wasn't mutual, but we'll get to that in the episode. But then we just very much clicked as we got to know each other, and she's one of those people where after knowing her for five minutes, I would share my deepest, darkest secrets with her because she's so trustworthy, loving, and just my kind of human. Like, we are the same kind, but (laughs) she has incredible energy an enormous heart, and I adore her. And she is obviously a nutritional therapy practitioner. You can find her on Instagram at Carrie Ann the First or head to her website, 
inspirawellnesscollective.com that will be in the show notes as well. She works with all types of clients who are seeking general health and well-being, whether it be gut issues, hormone dysfunction, all of that. But of course, she does work with clients who are battling cancer or recovering from treatment because she has that personal experience and knows so much in that arena. So if you or someone you know has been affected by cancer and needs some support and could use a nutritional therapy practitioner, hit up Carrie Ann because she is the best. Okay, so let's go ahead and hop into this conversation with my dear friend Carrie Ann Johansson. She is one of a kind and I'm so excited for you guys to get to hear her incredible story. You. <laughs> I am a professional. You have a really nice like speaking voice, so I feel like you it's should be in radio. I'm a singer. Yeah, that's true. That's people true. have told me that before. When they've just heard me talk, they're like, "Are you a singer?" And I'm like, "Yes, I am." Yeah, you are. Are you gonna sing upon the baby's arrival? I already sing to him oh, from time to time. Oh, really? Yeah, he can hear me. Do you have a name picked out? No. Okay. But we did download an app called Kinder. <laughs> It's a swipe app for baby names. <laughs> so it'll show like which we both swipe right on. Oh my it'll God. like give you a list. So if we, and you can set all Who these different that? settings on it. I have no idea. But you can put all these different settings on it like Game of Thrones names, Swedish names, Pokemon names, and then regular stuff like yeah. English names. But yeah, you should it's do a Game funny. of Thrones name. I know. Or you should do a bachelor name. Oh my gosh, yeah. Speaking of which this season's fire. Uh, you don't like it? I love it. <laughs> okay, I good. love it so much. Okay, I love it so much I hate it. <laughs> I think this is one of the best seasons we've had in a while, in my opinion. Not the best Bachelor, though. Oh, you don't like him? I think he's more attractive to look at than Ari, but he's just as boring. <laughs> okay, well, Personality-wise, he's vanilla. Oh, my God. He's, I'm just okay, like, oh, who's, come who's on. Who's been the most interesting one? Then Sean opinion. Lowe. Really? I yeah. feel like he was super vanilla. I don't know. He just like has a sense of humor and you know, I don't know. He had more of a personality, I thought. I don't know. I feel like no one has had too big a personality. Just freaking Colton in the way that he's like, well, she said that you're a manipulative bitch, <laughs> blah, blah. I'm like, bro, have you not had any conflict yeah. management no, training in your I whole life? I feel bad for him. I feel like he's dealing with a sorority girl house oh, because everyone's, like tw- everyone's my age. Everyone's like 23. I know. I feel really old watching it now. It used to be like, oh my gosh, they're so grown up. And now I'm like, you guys are little babies. What in the world? It's weird. It's weird. It's yeah. really weird. Is there anyone who's 22? I think 23 might be the youngest. Yeah, that's my age. Yeah. It's weird. Maybe yeah. I'll be Not that my... you're a baby. But I am. <laughs> I, but I don't identify as a 23-year-old. <laughs> or as a baby. <laughs> yeah, I'm more of like a 75-year-old in a yeah. young person's yeah, body. Totally. Okay, we should talk about how we met. We should totally talk about how we met. <laughs> okay, you should tell the story. Go ahead. So... We were in the NTP program together, and the full disclosure, you haven't heard this yet. I've never told this to you. So after day one, I had like Googled everyone, you know, and like looked looked everybody up on Instagram and stuff. So I saw like, oh my gosh, Christina Rice, she's like Insta famous, which I know that you don't think you are, but you are compared to the rest of us. So I was watching all your stuff, started following you, and was like what is the deal with this chick? Like so many stories all the time. And I was like, I can't follow her anymore. And I totally judged you. I'm just going to be honest. I was like, I'm never going to be friends with this person. And then the second day my seat was in the front row. 
I had already like set my stuff there. And when I came back, Mm -hmm. there was stuff next to in the seat next to me. And I didn't know whose it was. So I sat down and then you sat down (laughs) after I had just judged you like literally the night before. And that was just totally like in my experience as being a recovering judgmental person. (laughs) It was just like God's way of being like, Carrie Ann. No, you don't get to do this. You're going to get to know her. And then you were like, I'm so excited to meet you. Like, you're just so inspiring. And I was like, man, I'm the worst. I am such a jerk. And then now we totally became friends. And then the next day, I mean, even that day, we like invited you back to our junky little Airbnb. I'm so like hung out. Yeah. And I was like, Christine is actually really great. I was just being horrible. (laughs) I'm so terrible. I deserve to learn this lesson. Wait, I love that story. Funny. I'm shocked I never would have expected that because you invited me over like like that day. I'm very friendly, but You're I also friendly. I totally struggle with being a little judger. Well, I'm definitely a, a big judger. I yeah. would say I'm a little judger. <laughs> but I really liked you because you were super inquisitive and like obviously extroverted, like outgoing. Oh. Although I'm not sure you would identify as that, but that's how you came across. And especially in that whole situation, like I felt like everyone was so quiet you know the yeah. first day everyone was super quiet um and you just had a lot of questions and I loved your questions I could tell you were really smart and I was like wow I like this chick like she knows her stuff and uh, yeah and then I wanted to be your friend it's so funny out of pure necessity I'm just like how in the world does this crazy body work I need to understand every single thing I know you were tell me it's funny because we talked about how we had different schooling experiences so to speak yeah, and how you yeah. really applied yourself in NTA and I was very much like the opposite of how I usually am kind of like not in it right um and growing up I was always the one who asked so many questions in class and I used to get made fun of and people would get really pissed at me and I just I was asking all these intense questions and then I I feel like I was watch as like watching you and the way you question and I was like that was me my whole life <laughs> and I really identified with you that's awesome <laughs> I was the one in school who I did not know that I had ADHD until like three years ago mm-hmm. and so in school I'm trying to track everything cannot follow what's going on and had that classic like female ADHD internal experience of like I don't know what's going on why can't I focus why is everyone else able to get this and I'm not and like afraid to ask questions most of the time and so then once I discovered I had ADHD and started like figuring that out and managing it I was like I actually have the ability to be a good student I never knew that like that was very new to me wait how did you find out you had ADHD um I had been working remotely and starting this national program literally by myself um, for like a larger organization, but taking, I know, no big deal. (laughs) I wrote the job description. I wrote the job requirements. And so basically taking like a small program that was being done in San Diego and in California Mm -hmm. and trying to replicate it so it could be done all over the country. And I was working, I was the only remote employee. So I was working at home and I was going to counseling at the time and I would go every Monday and my therapist would be like, how's your day going? And I would just say to him, I've just been panicking for hours. Like I just would have all these thousand things in my mind of what I needed to do, but not be able to organize them at all. 
And it was so stressful for me because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not doing enough. I'm not earning my paycheck. Like, I, and I was, but I was just all freaked out about it. So um, I asked him about ADHD because I just said, I feel like I can't focus. And I had had people previously in my life make comments about that, like just kind of casually, like at a camp that I worked at, I was apparently always like looking out the window during staff meetings because the counselors would be all together, like camp counselors, and the kids would be outside. Mm-hmm. And I just, every ball that was thrown, I was like, squirrel. Um, and I was really anxious that summer. And the um, camp director said, yeah, I think it's because you have ADHD. He was like, when I started dealing with my ADHD, my anxiety went away. Wow. And that was when I was like 21 or 22. And I honestly kind of just brushed it off and was like, whatever. But then a therapist friend of ours was over. We were all making jewelry because I love making jewelry. And I looked up and everyone else had one project that they were working on. And I had <laughs> like, like a necklace, a pair of earrings, a ring. And I was just bouncing back and forth. And I made a comment like, oh, my gosh, everyone else is working on one thing. And she's like, oh, because that's your ADHD. And I was like, are you saying that as a therapist or as like yeah. a ha ADHD? Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm saying it as a therapist I was like oh oh wow maybe like this is something I need to actually look into yeah and it's been life-changing but so what does that mean addressing it and looking into it like so what do you do from there to help manage it I did go on Adderall which I'm not on right now because I'm pregnant but um I Adderall was super helpful and I just took like the lowest possible dose and I felt like a different person. Mm-hmm. But then aside from that, using peppermint and rosemary essential oil has been really helpful. How um, do you use that? I, sometimes I diffuse it. And then I also make diffuser earrings. And so I'll put like a drop of rosemary on one and a drop of peppermint on the other one. I'm sorry. So wait, it like wait. follows me everywhere wait, I go. Wait, wait, What do you mean you make diffuser earrings? Like do they have little like an opening in them? So what? they have a lava bead on them. And lava beads will hold one drop of essential oil for like multiple days so you can just diffuse like wherever you're going I need these. I will totes make you some. Can you make me some? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That's so great. (laughs) Or like I've made diffuser rings when we had our NTP final. Mm -hmm. I like put a drop of each on there because they've been proven to help with memory and Mm -hmm. focus. And so anytime when I was like panicking about a question, I would just kind of put my hand up to my face all casual like (laughs) and just be like breathing in the natural Adderall. Okay. This is one thing that I loved about NTA. It's like only at NTA, like you, you go in the room and it's an everyone you look around and like I'm not weird because I have a bag of essential oils. Like everyone has totally. their essential oils out yeah. and we're all like, Oh, which one do you have? Yeah. Like <laughs> when Lily said, or I guess it wasn't Lily, they told us like, don't wear any perfume, don't yeah. use any heavy essential oils. I actually felt really panicked. Oh, me too. Because I was, I was like, like I'm, I'm using them that. for survival on yeah. a daily basis. Yeah. But then Lily smelled so strongly of patchouli. I was like, yeah. Okay, I can put a couple drops on yeah. a ring. I'm yeah. gonna be okay. Oh my god. Yeah. So that was really helpful. And then I also started planning out my days in 15 minute increments, which I know sounds really insane, but that was like, (laughs) that was like the only way that I could actually focus and like know what I needed to do and guess how long it was going to take me Mm -hmm. and then just move on to the next thing. Um, and then another little thing that hopefully if anyone's listening that also struggles with ADD, this is helpful. Um, I'd write each task on a little slip of paper, like each task on its own piece of paper so that I could move them around 
because sometimes I'm like, okay, I have all these errands to run. What do I need to do in what order? That way I could move them if things change during the day or if I got a phone call so I couldn't go to the library and work or do whatever. That was super helpful. Like the time management, little tricks like that. Yeah. Well, that's super helpful for me. It's like I have never been d- diagnosed with ADHD, but it was it wasn't until I don't know if you heard that episode that I did with Andrew Hill like a while back, but he's like a neuroscientist and he yeah. was doing all these like, oh, brain, the brain mapping. Yeah, the brain yeah. mapping. And he basically was saying, he's like, yeah, you have like ADHD. And right. we had this whole conversation even before I was recording. And right. I was trying to wrap my head around it because no one has ever said that to me before. But then when he said that and I started thinking more about it and then paying attention to my paying attention, yeah. I was like, I really think I have this, you know, like, yeah. I really think I might have it, but it's just strange to me that in so many years of therapy and so many different therapists, no one ever brought that up right. to me. Um, when I ex- explain how I think all the right. time. So that's why it was kind of caught me off guard, but also it's like, he, he can't diagnose me. Right. Um, I'm not sure I care whether or not I have a diagnosis, but it's just right. been interesting for me for someone to even like bring that up to me and also that it wasn't until very recently that someone ever said that to me but like now that I you know I hear like you kind of explaining your thought process and I talk to other people who have ADHD I'm like I really this really resonates with me yeah it's very interesting and it's fascinating for females specifically like young girls with ADHD Mm -hmm. I was reading up about this when I was just kind of initially processing all of it it manifests so differently than for boys. Mm. So because a lot of girls, they know what's expected of them. They're afraid to break the rules. They don't act out in class. It looks very different. It looks like an internal panic, which is often dealt with as depression or anxiety because that's how it manifests. Mm. But it's really not that. Like I had gone on antidepressants thinking that's what was going on and they yeah. were not helpful for me. Same. Um, which was obviously really frustrating to think, oh, maybe I have the solution and it didn't work. Mm. But then understanding it and thinking back on my, um, even my childhood years, I was always shaking one of my legs. My mom would put her hand on my leg in church to just kind of be like, calm yourself down and I wouldn't even notice I was doing it Mm -hmm. but the inattention part was so real even through college like in lectures every 30 seconds I'd be like oh my gosh I have no idea what they're talking about right now yeah and I'm trying to take notes and trying to be present and I just could not do it yeah that's so interesting and I think I think for me also it probably was swept under the rug because I didn't I still performed very well. That's like everybody always thought because I always got really good grades. Everyone thought school was easy for me. School was Mm. very hard. I worked very hard to get good grades. It wasn't like it just came to me. Um, And I always had the internal battle. Like things always took me so long and I couldn't really understand why. And now that I'm more aware, I'm like, it's because my brain, I can't focus. So something that if I was just focused would take me 30 minutes, takes me like four or five hours. Yeah, totally. Which is interesting. Do you ever find yourself in the groove of focus and you're like, holy cow, I'm so productive. Yeah. Right now? Usually when I have a lot of caffeine. Yes. That, <laughs> that was really helpful for me too. When I was working remotely, I would often go to this coffee shop down the street and mm-hmm. ride my bike there and get a snobby almond milk latte. <laughs> I'm like not a coffee drinker unless it's a yeah. latte or a cappuccino. And I would be so focused at this coffee shop mm-hmm. for like four hours, mm-hmm. despite the fact that there were people walking around like all over the place talking around me. I would just be so zoned in. 
and it was totally caffeine. I'm not usually a coffee drinker, but mm-hmm. that I was like, oh my gosh, this yeah. is, I'm so productive at Roy's coffee yeah. shop. I know. I never do caffeine because my adrenals, my right. adrenals. Yeah. But I do notice like it when, if I have caffeine, I am on fire. Like I am focused. <laughs> yeah. I get, I can write You're a like, look out world. Book. Yeah. Like you don't even know what's coming. Yeah. Um, so, but that's interesting. So were you on Adderall up till you got pregnant? Um, I took it like on and off. There are some settings in which ADHD has actually really benefited me. Mm-hmm. Like when I was in the camp setting, I it was helpful for me to be aware of everything going on. Mm-hmm. Like there would be campers running everywhere and, and I would be talking to an individual. Oh, I can see it yeah. all. And I'd be so <laughs> frustrated with people of like with counselors. I'm like, why didn't you see that this was going on with your camper? Yeah. And then when I realized I had ADHD, I was like, oh, everyone else is not <laughs> flooded with all of this external stimuli all yeah. the time. So I would take it on and off. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I tried not to take it because mm-hmm. I was like, I know that this isn't long-term beneficial, mm-hmm. but on some days in particular, it just felt like I absolutely have to do this. Yeah. But also, how does this all interact with like being an empath and also being slightly intuitive? Like, yeah. because you and I both are just tapped in in general. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, totally. Like, and so we're just more aware. Yeah. Um, and I think that all plays into it as well. Yeah. Because um, kind of like, how do you d- determine the difference between like, I'm so overstimulated right now right. because I have ADHD versus because I'm such an empath and I take on all these emotions and the energies of everyone around me. Mm-hmm. Like, that's tricky. Like, I'm, a high, I'm an it HSP, is. right? Like, yeah, total HSP. When I learned about that, yeah, it was like, revolutionary for yeah. me. Yeah. This was like, oh my gosh, this is explaining my entire life yeah. up until this point. It's I feel crazy. like you evoxered me at one point and you're like, are you an HSP? Yes, I I'm totally did. <laughs> <laughs> I remember how that. Did it, so how, funny. I'm trying to remember how we like got so close randomly. I don't know. I I have this experience with other people. I was just having dinner at a friend's house last night with someone who I met on Instagram. I have no idea how she found me, but she yeah. did. And we met in person one time. Mm-hmm. And then I she's in town in Oceanside, which frankly is very far from yeah. here. <laughs> in town with air quotes. Um, and so I had dinner with her. And this is only the second time I've seen her. But she also is like a highly sensitive person and just like really comfortable in her own skin. And with people like that, I feel like I could become best friends with them mm-hmm. in a matter of moments. Whereas with other friendships, it takes such a long time to build that. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're cut from the same cloth as someone, you just kind of get each other. Yeah. You're just like the tribe. Yeah. I also yeah. think that going back to just like being so aware, like, okay, I can tell within probably 30 seconds of meeting someone if like we're going to be friends. Oh, or for not. sure. You know, it's like, yeah. And most people I meet, I'm like, we're either going to be best friends or like, I'm not really going to talk to you that yeah. much. And I'm, there's like not much in between yeah. for me. Um, and I felt like with you, I was just like, Hey friends. Yeah. But then I don't even know what happened because I felt like we randomly just started voxering each other. And then we were voxering like all day, every day. I know. <laughs> and I was like, it, Voxer does that. Voxer does that. If I Sucks only like, I can't, I'm so weird with my phone now and I don't talk to anybody. It's like if I'm talking to somebody, it has to be on Voxer because I just can't type. Oh, yeah. It's too much. Like, it's just too much. Well, and especially when you have a lot to say or yeah, a like lot of things of that us, you're processing yeah. through. Poor little thumbs. They get, they get worn out. I know. You know? Maybe that's, that's related real. to ADHD. I can't, I can't type because <laughs> I have too many thoughts. Yeah. You're like, say. I can't even text fast <laughs> enough for this. Oh, my God. Okay. Totally. Well, okay. What I want to get into, obviously, is your whole cancer story. Yes. And, like, I've never asked you 
a lot of details about it on purpose because I was waiting wearing mascara <laughs> just kidding no, no, that too. I, I told her I'm like I'm not wearing mascara today but like but I was waiting like for this moment because I always knew I wanted to have like have you tell say everything on the podcast yes so I mean all I know is kind of what you've alluded to yeah. slash mentioned but yeah. I've never heard like your full out story and I yeah. I know you said it on another podcast you yeah yeah but I didn't listen on purpose I d- I thought about telling you that because I wasn't sure if you knew but then I thought even if I tell her she's not going to want to listen to it because listen. you're going to want this to yeah, be like totally fresh because which I just, I I just I totally want to hear from you know from you I like hearing it yeah for the first time yeah um okay let's just go back I mean you tell me where you start with that Oh man, it all started back in 2006 when I journeyed to South America for Mm -hmm. my first year of college at a very small Bible college. And I was super excited to be there, loved it, made some of my best friends there. Uh A couple months in, I started getting violently ill. Like it was very weird. Every two weeks to the day, I would have this like crazy GI episode of Pharaoh, that whole thing. It was terrible to the point where I have worked through some of that stuff in therapy and with EMDR because it was like a big T trauma for me where I really thought that I was going to die from this. Um, So that's kind of where it started. And I went back to the States for Christmas and got tested for like parasites and amoebas because it was like something is obviously going on here. And nothing, it, nothing came back. They're like, you're normal. That's when I officially got like an IBS diagnosis, which was... <laughs> which is uh, BS diagnosis. Yes, everyone hear that. Intestinal BS. <laughs> um, so then I went back to Ecuador, kept like for the rest of the year, kept getting sick. Um, and when I came back to the States, things got a little bit better, but like never fully recovered. And as you know, with GI stuff, especially when it's so severe, that's going to travel to all other areas of the body. Mm -hmm. So it started with GI stuff, but then turned into like chronic fatigue and pain all the time and like low blood pressure and all kinds of stuff. Um, And then a couple, let's see, Mike and I had just gotten engaged Mm -hmm. and we spent an evening, a very romantic evening in the ER because I was having such severe GI stuff. And I was also very depressed during this time, like crying every day for what I thought was no reason. Now I understand that my whole entire gut dysbiosis thing was crazy town. Mm -hmm. Um, But we were in the ER and eventually I saw a GI doctor and when they called me with the test results and said, you have a parasite, I literally yelled out in public, hallelujah. Yeah. I was just like, oh my gosh, it's thank God. Yeah. yeah. And we were getting married in like two weeks. We were engaged for a very short amount of time. It was not a shotgun wedding. It was just like, you know what? Let's just go for wait, it. Wait, how long, how long were you guys dating before you got engaged? We were dating for like 10 months. And then you got engaged. You were engaged we were engaged for like three and a half months. Woo! And it's like we were both in our late 20s and had done a lot of our own like personal mm-hmm. 
work along the way and when you know yourself and what you're looking yeah. for I had always thought I have to date someone for two years before we get engaged <laughs> like was so adamant on yeah. that and I'm like I'm not dating you for yeah. two years like yeah. that's not gonna happen yeah road. totally so the GI doc was like you have a parasite um it was Giardia and she said you know we can treat it but you can't have like any alcohol during that time because it was flagell which they used to use to treat alcoholism mm. um and so they're like you will get violently ill and I was like well I have felt sick for so long I'm like I'm pretty sure I can last a few more weeks like yeah. through our honeymoon and um whatever so when we got back dealt with the um Giardia and it supposedly went away but I went back to this GI doc and I was like I don't feel better like at all yeah wait wait, wait. so you went through your wedding like ill I mean it became so it was normal. normal okay yeah it was like yeah I mean diarrhea was like very normal mm -hmm. for me and frankly still is very normal for me <laughs> as I'm still working through yeah. like having had a parasite for 10 years before yeah. I was diagnosed and I think I had SIBO way longer than that yeah. so I just had all this stuff going on I had tested positively How do you know for you like had it for 10 years um because of the onset of when I got sick fast forward to when it was oh, actually diagnosed okay I'm I mean I just nothing else makes yeah, sense like other it than was that a clear trigger. yeah okay. it was a really clear trigger so um yeah dealt with the giardia and then I was like I don't feel better like at all mm -hmm. and that summer she had said oh it'll just take time you know allopathic medicine loves telling yeah. you like the tincture of time. Yeah. Um, so Mike and I were at camp that summer. I was directing Camp Hope America and I started just like feeling worse and worse. I was losing weight. I had like certain foods that were just absolutely repulsive to me um, to the point where I actually thought I was pregnant for a while. That's what I was going to say. Because I was sure just like, this is that. so weird to yeah. not like vegetables. And I've always loved vegetables. Um, so when we got back after the summer, I was like very thin, which was so confusing mentally for me because I had like those stupid jeans that I had hung on to thinking like, oh, someday these will fit. And they did fit, yeah. but I felt like crap. Yeah. And it was like, I don't know what's going on. So then I had like a bunch of muscle and nerve pain on my right side that no amount of like massage or yoga or stretching or anything could get rid of it and I would just like cry at night just being in that like gnawing discomfort mm -hmm. and like what is wrong with me something is going on here um and then one day I just like woke up with a pretty significant mass right above my collarbone um and it wasn't like it didn't hurt to touch it or anything um, and I was actually going in to be diagnosed with ADHD, full circle. Yeah. And so I was like, will you just check this out too? Like, this seems concerning. Was it literally like you woke up and it was there? Or did you kind of see it getting bigger? No, I woke up and it was there. And I'm like, especially because I had had so much chronic pain, I was always like doing self-massage and working on my scaling muscles. And I would have felt it had it been there, mm -hmm. like as prominent. But it just like really manifested literally overnight which was it's like crazy. super scary. That happened to me, but like I woke up one morning when I was sick yeah. and I had this huge like ball in my in my throat like right here. Yeah. And I took and I was like, what is this? And I sent a picture to like all my doctors. I was seeing like five yeah. or six different doctors and they're like, Oh, don't worry about it. And I was like, there's something wrong. Oh my gosh. And like there and I was like I was looking up like, is it my thyroid? But like was not in the spot. It was not yeah, my thyroid. Yeah. Like I knew where my thyroid was. And 
it it, it went away after like two weeks Weird. but it was very alarming it was yeah. like a large like noticeable ball yeah like, sticking out of my throat when they're like oh it's fine yeah like, like it's, is it's, it actually might very well not be yeah fine. i'm like can we check on this so the re- part of the reason that i felt con- like immediately concerned about it yeah. was that a month beforehand I had been in Seattle taking care of a friend who had just gone through chemo Mm -hmm. for a mass in literally the same spot Mm -hmm. um, that was pre-lymphoma and she has a history of cancer. So they're like, we need to do chemo just in case. So even when I was up in Seattle taking care of her, I was really sick. I like threw up before we went to the airport and was just like feeling so bad. So when I showed up with this mass and I told my parents like this, I'm having this tested, whatever. Um, they need to rule out lymphoma. My dad was like, you know, cancer doesn't pop up overnight. And I'm like, it doesn't pop up overnight. Like it would have been developing, Mm -hmm. but this could be like a serious thing. And, um, in my family, like physical stuff was just kind of downplayed, mm-hmm. which was really hard for me because I had so much stuff going on since even when I was a kid yeah. um, and just thought, oh, this is normal or like everybody has their aches and pains. So I didn't really do anything about it and didn't know that I could at mm-hmm. that point. Um, but I had like a couple months of just diagnostic testing. They did an ultrasound that was inconclusive, a CT that was inconclusive then a needle biopsy. And, um, when they gave me the quote unquote results of that, they basically said like all the cells are dead that we took out. And so we can't actually test them and see like what's going on. We'll need to do a surgical biopsy. And like, I normal, like, no, that's not like having dead cells in a live body is not a normal thing. um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So when I got that phone call, like I had been visiting my sister in Fresno, I remember exactly where I pulled over the car and got that call. And I told her what they said. And I was like, I think this is going to be cancer. Mm -hmm. Like that. I just said, it just does not feel right to have a, so many dead cells in a live body. That's that's not normal. I just want to pause there for a second because I'm just trying to imagine like how that would feel to like have that thought in your head. Like I would be afraid to say that out loud. You know what I mean? Or it's like yeah. at what point, you, you know, it's, and I know it's, you're so sure of things. It's interesting, but I just think, you know, so many people just like go and diagnose themselves and look WebMD and they jump right. to the worst conclusion. Right. And it's hard because I'm sure people around you are like, well, you're just like being dramatic, but like at some point, like you kind of know, I don't know. It's just, I, weird. It's, I knew like yeah. really early on too. So I knew at that point and that was probably like a month before I was actually diagnosed. So then they did a surgical biopsy, um, and they couldn't take out the mass because it was like entwined in nerves and arteries, which is why I was in so much pain oh my because God. my nerves are all getting pressed on. Um, but when we were, I was recovering from surgery and, um, it was Thanksgiving. It was right before Thanksgiving. I had this huge incision on my neck and I was wearing scarves a lot. So my whole family was together and, um, my, I had kind of this episode of like getting really hot and faint and I just felt horrible and that would happen every now and then. And I just laid on the ground. I didn't want to like make a big deal out of it, but I like laid on the ground 
behind the couch. And my sister, who is my best friend, is only 13 months older than I am. And we're just very connected. And she was just very aware of me and came over and I was just crying on the ground. And she laid down next to me. And I was like, Kel, I have cancer. I know it's going to be cancer. And we just like laid there and cried together. And that kind of moment of like, they don't have to even tell me this in order for me to know this. Um, And it was interesting it's really, it's going to sound really weird for me to say this, but I really wanted it to be cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, I needed an answer to why I felt like garbage for so long, despite doing all kinds of things um, to try and fix it. And I also felt like from a faith perspective, I had become so irritated and complacent with why I was seeing other people like be healed of things and I wasn't and I really had gotten like angry with God for it and I wrote a blog post about this about just this feeling of like healing must be for other people but not for me Mm -hmm. Um, and that was horrible to feel that way and because of that it was this weird dissonance of like God I'm really mad at you but I also like really desire to be close to you and I told Mike's aunt the day after surgery, I said, I think this is going to be cancer. And I feel like God is chasing me. Mm. Like I have gotten distant and complacent and apathetic. And he's like, Carrie Ann, come back. And that was like the way that it had to be. Mm. And so in the whole journey, I just, I felt like I didn't feel like, oh my gosh, FML, like cancer happened to me. I felt like really chosen to walk through all of this the whole time. And um, I didn't feel like a fear of I'm going to die from this. Um, Before my needle biopsy, I very stupidly went to that by myself because I'm an eight on the Enneagram. I'm like a strong, independent (laughs) woman. And I was like, I got this. This is like not a big deal. They're just going to stick a needle in there. It's not going to be a big deal. Um, And there's so much like denial and just kind of dissociation, which I'm sure you understand when you have chronic illness issues, it like becomes your new normal and you're like, okay, just pain as usual or like bloating as usual or whatever. Um, And then every now and then there are these moments that like snap you back into the possible reality. And as I was laying, well, even before I was laying on the table, the doctor showed me the CT scan and these two lymph nodes were like pressed together. They're both shaped like jelly beans. So pressed together, they were forming the very obvious shape of a heart, which I know sounds really cheesy, but that's what it looked like. And I saw it and I just felt this like rush of peace come over me Mm -hmm. and felt like God was just like, this is not the end. You're not alone in this. And there is going to be so much purpose in this. Mm -hmm. Like I, I never felt that like, ah, why me kind of feeling. Um, and so when I was then on the table, I still was kind of like, do, do, do. I kind of like the attention of being in like radiology. (laughs) That's so weird, but it's real. I'm like, everybody is just like, but look at you, you're so healthy. And I'm like, I'm really not. But like, there was something about like feeling really cared for in hospital Mm -hmm. settings that just like felt good to me. And then I was on the table, they put the needle in there. And as this, it's a freaking giant needle. It's like nine inches long. Um, as the needle was in there and they're moving it around, I just, all of a sudden it was like this possible reality slapped me in the face of like, 
oh my gosh, I could have cancer. Mm. And I cried all day. Mm. And I just, I called my, I called Mike afterwards and then I called my mom and I'm like, I don't know why I came to this by myself. I don't know why I didn't think this was a big deal Mm -hmm. to like really have my life potentially hanging in the balance. And then eventually it was hanging in the balance for real. Um, But it was just a weird, it was just a weird thing of all of a sudden like, oh my gosh, this is really scary. Yeah. Um, and so the diagnosis kind of happened in two parts because I first got the results of the, um, surgical biopsy and they, from the doctor, from my surgical oncologist. And I should have known when they referred me to a surgical oncologist, like you don't see a surgical oncologist unless your doctor's like pretty sure you have Mm -hmm. cancer. Um, but she told me, you know, it's some kind of lymphoma. We don't know what it is. So we sent your pathology results to Stanford because we were in the Bay Area at the time. Um, and you c- you'll find out in a couple weeks. So then a couple weeks later, I get a call like, oh, your results are ready. I'm thinking I'm going to see the doctor when I go in yeah. because hello, that's who you see for like intense results like yeah. that. So I get to the desk and the receptionist hands me this envelope of paper that has like six pages in it. Oh my God. And I looked at her and I'm like, are you, what is happening right now? Yeah. I'm like, are you just handing me these results? And she's like, oh yeah, the doctor's not in this afternoon. She already left this morning. And I was like, oh what the God. heck? Yeah. So then I go home with six pages of all this pathology work. And I had done enough research to like know that, you know, there was Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin's mm-hmm. and different forms of non-Hodgkin's and um, large cell and small cell and like all this stuff. So I see on the paperwork that there's like diffuse large B cell, which is of the non-Hodgkin's variety, mm-hmm. but then things about like features of Hodgkin's. So I emailed the um, surgeon and I said, am I understanding this correctly that I have two kinds of lymphoma? And at that point, she, no one even told me the name of it at this point. Like I didn't find out it was called gray zone lymphoma mm-hmm. until like a while afterwards. So that was bizarre I'm and sorry. definitely malpractice. This is like to be clear. Unacceptable. I know. I was absolutely floored. I was floored. Yeah. That's like, okay. When people do that with like SIBO results, I get annoyed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like they just, you know, they just hand and you're like, what is this shit? Yeah. That's a huge diagno- diagnosis. Yeah. They li- it was insane. That's absolutely... Oh, my God. So the I'm great thing shook. is that... I know. It's ridiculous. I could not believe that. And I have friends that that kind of thing, not necessarily with like cancer diagnosis, but that kind of thing like happens fairly regularly because it's That's... an online portal and they just upload it. It's like, oh my okay, God. people need to have this explained. Yeah. Thankfully, I was of like sound enough mind to not totally lose my shiz over reading this. Um, and you're also very well informed. Like what if yeah. you weren't somebody who, a lot of people don't do all that outside research or and they, right. they get handed this and they're like, what is this? Right. Holy. It was crazy. So then my like very pet upset. scan was scheduled for like a few weeks later, yeah. or maybe two weeks later or something. And I had told my parents like, yeah, I have cancer. I don't even really understand like what kind of lymphoma it is. Mm-hmm. And my dad, because of his line of work, is like very well connected with really prominent doctors and surgeons all over the country. So I scanned him a copy of this six-page thing, and he sent it out all over. And these doctors are responding immediately, saying, she needs to have a really stat PET scan, because this is a very serious, very fast-growing kind of cancer. Mm -hmm. And 
at the hospital, they just seemed to be like, oh yeah, we'll get you in for a PET scan to do staging. Like it was not a big deal. Um, So I'm really thankful for that. And that actually from his network of doctor friends is where we heard gray zone lymphoma. Mm -hmm. I'd never even heard it from like my own oncology surgeon. Was that at Stanford? It was in San Jose. What hospital? El Camino. Oh, God. Yeah. And they were great in so many ways. Like on a customer service care level, they were super great. But with those details, it was just like, you can't do that. That's not a... And it's a trend. It's a trend. This is part of the big issue with Western medicine. Like, we're humans. (sighs) Don't even get me started, girl. No, I know. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. It was bananas. So then I had like a PET scan and they did a bone marrow biopsy and I'm kind of a, I'm a little bit of a masochist Mm. and I actually feel this way about childbirth as well. I'm like, how painful is painful, you know? (laughs) So when they told me like grown men cry during these like bone marrow biopsies, I'm kind of like, okay, prove it. Don't Uh. don't sedate me. I'm like, let's feel how bad this is. But I think it's different when you have cancer in your bones versus when you don't. And I didn't. Um, but I did the PET scan and got the results of it. And this is the part that gets crazy because when they saw my pathology results, the doctor was like, you know, your pathology results and your PET scan actually do not match at all. And I'm like, what does that even mean that they don't match? And he said, we do this proliferation index called KI-67 when we're looking at how fast cancer cells are growing. And based on that number, you can predict what the PET scan is going to look like. And it's out of 100. So anything that's on the high end, you usually see like a PET scan that's just lit up all over the place with cancer cells. So he's like, we because of the rarity of your case, which he had never even heard of gray zone lymphoma, and his nurse told me that, like, oh, we learned a lot from Google. I'm like, okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> Even if that is true, you never say that to someone. That is, like, okay, that reminds me, have you seen these commercials recently for, I don't know what it is, but they're like, it's a guy going to surgery, and he's like, are you prepared? He's like, kind of. Oh, I'm yes. Like, yeah, it's like. Like, like okay is yeah, not good okay enough. it's not good enough. I'm like, oh, that's yeah. exactly what it's like. Yeah, it felt a lot like that. Oh, my so God. So what, what that doctor didn't know was that, I had already met with an oncologist in San Diego who had looked at my pathology results and told me like, this is the chemo regimen that I would recommend because of like, you don't have this specific antibody. Like she went into the details of it, which I really appreciate because I just wanted to like know everything. Um, And so then when I went up and saw Dr. Ding Dong is what I refer to him as in San Jose, um, he did give some really helpful results. He just said, we had our whole tumor board look at your pathology results because this is such a rare case. And we all were collectively devastated for you because you're so young and your cancer cells are some of the fast growing, fastest growing cancer cells that you can have. It's a 90 out of 100 on this scale. And he was like, I have never even seen a 90 on the scale. But when I have patients that are even in the 80s, they're coming in with like multiple organ failure. PET scan is lit up everywhere. And he's like, that's where the matching up Mm -hmm. isn't happening because your PET scan is showing that you're only in stage two. All of your tumors are above the diaphragm, but your pathology makes it tells us that your cancer is old and has been growing and gaining momentum for a really long time. So I'm like, what? Yeah. Trying to wrap my mind around this. And Same. I mean, people 
all over the place had been like praying for this PET scan that there would be containment of cancer. And I felt like it was going to be everywhere. But what did I know? I didn't know anything. Now I know if you have cancer everywhere, you're like really going to be feeling it in a lot of ways. But um, it was just a miracle. So I'm trying to understand from this doctor, like why would these two things not line up? And I have always been curious about the role of Giardia, which I can't remember if I've told you this before, but I named my, I love naming things. I named my parasite. I named my cancer. I named my chemo. Um, and I named my parasite Brutus Rex Shiitake, like first middle last name. Um, and so I actually referred to him as Brutus with this doctor. I was like, so how do you think that Brutus played a role in this, like in developing cancer? And he said, I think that more than playing a role in developing cancer, which I think it did by weakening your immune system. I think that what actually happened was that because your body was so strongly fighting this parasite, it was also keeping these cancer cells at bay because once the parasite was gone, my cancer symptoms increased exponentially within a few months. Like it was very, very fast. So that was just like a, oh my gosh, this, yeah, it was crazy. And it has been really interesting for me to even continue to process because so many of us have these things in our lives that we're like, this is the bane of my existence. Like everything would be so much better if I didn't have this. And I always felt that way about Giardia. Like I developed food sensitivities. I had severe anxiety that was like really crippling. Um, and then finding out that it could be, potentially be that this parasite was basically like saving my life because my body was like on high alert. Mm. Otherwise, gray zone lymphoma is like, that's not a good, you don't want to Google that. It's like an emotionally abusive relationship with that parasite. Yes. It was weird. I'm like, I hate you, but thank you (laughs) at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. It was bizarre. Damn Brutus. I know. Oh my God. Okay. That's insane. Yeah. It's a lot. Okay. I'm still trying to So then it was time for us to move because I was like, Dr. Ding Dong is not treating me. Yeah. You've never heard of what I have. And there's like, at that point I was told that there were less than 300 documented cases of it ever. Oh my God. Like worldwide. So he hadn't heard of it. My oncologist that I ended up seeing down here in San Diego doesn't have a code for it in her computer um, because it's so uncommon. Um, but we just, we knew that the doctor down here was going to be the one when I saw her, she was like, I live to treat these kinds of lymphomas. And I was like, that's what I want to hear. I don't want to hear you're learning from Google. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, let's do it. So it was during open enrollment. I was able to switch to a different insurance policy. That's like the Rolls Royce of insurances that covered all of my care at Scripps. Um, so Mike and I had our first married Christmas together because we had been only married for eight months when I was diagnosed. And I refused to pack our apartment until Christmas was over because I was like, I am not going to have this depressing cancer filled Christmas. Like that is not okay. Um, So Christmas night we started packing and then a couple days later, like packed a moving van, moved down here. We're down here for a week before I started chemo. Yeah, and then living with my parents. So okay, there's a it's lot. the dream for your first year of marriage. Okay, before we get into chemo, I yeah. mean, yeah, let's talk about like how that affected your marriage. That's like Ooh. a lot. Yeah, very quickly. Tell uh-huh. me about that. I mean, Mike has been so supportive and loving of me, mm-hmm. even in our dating relationship, because it's not like 
all of a sudden I was sick. Mm -hmm. It was like, he never has known me at a hundred percent capacity because I've been sick for such a long time. Um, and has always just been like, that was a huge anxiety for me in dating because I'm like, I have digestive stuff where at any moment I could be like (laughs) feeling really sick and I need someone that's going to get that. Someone that's going to be okay talking about poop Mm -hmm. because poop is a very significant part of my life. Like that's just real. Um, and he's been so supportive. Okay. Wait, I was on a date with this guy a few weeks ago and he goes, I hate when girls talk about poop (gasps) and I go, this is a good one. You're like, okay, (laughs) nice to meet you. Best of luck. I literally said, I was like, Oh, interesting. Cause like poop is like a big part of my job. So I talk about it a lot. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I could never be with someone like that. (laughs) It would just not work. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Just even not being able to talk about it produces anxiety for me. I'm like, I have to be able to. So Mike has been like so supportive. We picked our wedding colors in the hospital, like in the ER that night that he had taken me in. And and, I mean, they're asking me all the questions about bowel movements, blah, 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 Mm -hmm. which was, I mean, I'm just going to be graphic. It was like 14 times a day at that point. Like it was really bad. And we had just gotten engaged like oh yay let's go to the er um and people were like wow you guys aren't even married like this is this is some heavy stuff yeah. I'm like yeah this is just kind of what we do so going through the diagnosis process our mindsets were like totally different mm-hmm. um i i mean obviously it's different when it's your own body mm-hmm. um And I was just like, I know that this is going to be cancer. And Mike was more in the camp of like, it's nothing until it's something like, let's not get ahead of ourselves. And I was more like, I need to prepare myself for this, you know? Um, So we definitely had like differing kind of mentality and personalities about it at that point. And honestly, we did through chemo also. Like I was... I was sure this is not going to kill me. Like I'm going to beat this. I'm going to do everything. And, um, it was very, very hard for him. Like it, it honestly post-treatment was harder for me than actual treatment itself, which I think is pretty common for a lot of cancer survivors. But we on, so Mike is a five on the Enneagram and I'm an eight. And when fives are in a place of growth, they present like an eight. And when eights are in a place of stress, they present like an unhealthy five. So we like switch places. Uh So in the stress of all of it, it was just interesting to see kind of like our relationship totally changed Mm -hmm. because when we were dating, he had looked a lot more like an eight because he was in this really great place of growth. But the stress of cancer had like taken him into a different like mentally unhealthy place and there was honestly that feeling of like who even are we like this is not what I'm used to like this is not how I've known us to interact um and it was really hard yeah Jesus I mean they talk the first year of marriage is just to (laughs) right yeah I mean we're We're in year three right now and we're like going really strong yeah and people people's perception of cancer is also such an interesting thing Mm -hmm. um because they're like, oh my gosh, I'm sure this is bringing you guys so much closer together. And it has ultimately in the long run. But when we were in it, it did not bring us closer together. Mm-hmm. Like it was so, it was so hard. I just would not wish it on anyone. And yeah. like, yeah, I don't know about like going, I'm, I'm not going to go into details about it, but yeah. there were a lot of elements about it that were really hard. And 
the divorce rate for couples who go through cancer is really high and it's even higher when um, the woman has cancer. Be- I think because we're so we're so different in the way that we deal with problems. Um, and I understood that a lot. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. It will, I, yeah. It's a miracle that we're like making it through this. It's also like, I mean, just when we think about grief in general, like any type of yeah. loss, like people deal with that so differently. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of along the same lines where it's like sometimes people, I feel like you're the type of person who wants to talk about things and you don't want the elephant in the room. You just want to yeah. like face it head on your freaking naming your cancer right and then sometimes other people are like the type who they just want to pretend like nothing's going on because they can't face it right and you're dealing with i mean i can't even imagine what that felt like for you just like i mean not only in your your marriage but also just with people you're meeting every day like family friends and it's like everyone's gonna respond differently and treat you differently like did you feel like people were were treating you differently than they used to um in some ways yes yeah, in some ways, yes. I've, I mean, you get asked freaking so often, like, "How are you feeling?" Yeah. With that tone, not like, "Oh, how are you feeling?" Yeah. Like, how are you feeling? Yeah, you're like, so much, yeah. which is why I had like a private Facebook group for all of our like people that we're actually in relationship with, and I'd make video updates on oh, like put YouTube so links on there because I was like, I am not gonna be yeah. like telling every single person the same thing, and I would talk about not just how I was feeling physically, but like. I'm obviously a very open person and would talk about the kind of like mental and spiritual things that I was really struggling through or working through or having like really beautiful epiphanies about because it actually was for me personally from a spiritual standpoint, like a really beautiful season, Mm, like so much growth. Um, Music is huge for me in terms of just kind of soul care and self care and I like lyrics just strike my soul in some of them. Some of them don't. I'm like, oh my gosh, who cares about that stupid rhyme? But some of them, I'm like, like taste by Tyga. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Every time I hear that song, I'm like, what is even happening right now? (laughs) But every time that I heard this specific song called Nearness by Jen Johnson, Mm -hmm. she actually wrote it about a friend that had cancer. And the song opens with the lyrics, I stand with so many questions and you know all of the answers. And then the next part is, and whether this side of heaven, I know that you are the healer. That just like wrecked me every, and it's such a good way. Um, Every time I heard it, it was just like, okay, the chorus is my heart will stay steadfast. I know that you are good. And I would listen to it on repeat like every single day and just sing that over myself like, I know that whatever happens in this journey and like on this earth does not change like the goodness of the God that I believe in and the God that I'm serving. And I felt his, I felt like God's closeness so much through my cancer journey. I felt more, more loved and more known than I have ever felt. That's so interesting. It was, yeah, it was very, it was not what I expected at all. And not what other people expected either. They're like, so you're not mad? I'm like, no. Yeah. Do you feel like other people in your life had a different experience in terms of how your diagnosis affected their relationship with God? Um, I think that it was really, I mean, I can't imagine how hard it was for my parents. Mm. Um, we didn't talk about it all that much because I think they were kind of just going off of my like attitude and energy and I seemed like really positive and go-getter about it even though I had my days for sure of like having meltdowns but 
it was very, very hard for my dad Mm -hmm. to see me going through this. And I know that he just like did a lot of bargaining, like God take this from her and give it to me. Like I put me in her place kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Um, so it was really hard. It was really yeah. hard for him. And even in now that I'm pregnant and thinking about becoming a parent, I cannot imagine being in that position yeah. and not being so helpless. Like that's the thing about being the cancer survivor, which I really believe that that term is like from the second you're diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Like if you are breathing and you have cancer, you are already surviving it. Mm-hmm. So like claim that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really... Yeah, I really believe that like when it's your body, you have so much more of an ability to decide how you're going to manage stress, how you're going to eat, how you're going to move your body and all these things like no one else can do that for you. And so they're just watching it. Um, And a lot of people's comments. It's so interesting. I was kind of like, bring it on. Like we're doing this thing. And a lot of people's comments were like, oh my gosh, I'm just so devastated for you. This is such a tragedy. And I was kind of like, I'm not even devastated for myself right now. Like like, this is just, yeah, like this is happening. This is a part of my life now Mm -hmm. and a part of my journey. And it is what it is. Like we got to deal with it. There's not, there wasn't like time to be devastated. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting when it's almost like other people projecting their own emotions onto you and you're like, I'm not taking that. But then there's also this whole dynamic of like, especially with your parents, like, I mean, I mean, it's very different, but I know like when, when I was going through when I was sick, like I just felt immensely guilty because I'm like, I'm going through this and I'm like dealing it in the way I can deal with it. But like you being so upset and I can see how this is destroying you. Like that is worse for me. Like, because you know that they want, they can't do anything for you and they're like, it's killing them. And like, that's almost worse, you know? Like, so I can't even imagine like, you know, how your parents were feeling and like how you felt about the way they were feeling. I mean, I, I just, I think being an HSP and being like a huge empath, I just see other people's stuff so much. So even though they were like trying to hide it, I would see the most subtle things that had changed, whether it was a facial expression or something and just like, know, oh, this is a moment that like, mm-hmm. I, especially with my, I could see it really clearly with my dad. Like my mom is way more hard on her sleeve, but would see like, this is a moment that he is really struggling and just like a couple times saw that and didn't need to like say anything. Cause he's not a talk through emotions person. He's a writer. Mm-hmm. That's his way of processing, but just like go and give him a hug and just like cry together mm-hmm. and be like, it's going to be okay. You know, what was it like? Li- like telling them like once you actually knew, like I can't even imagine like having that conversation with them and Mike and your sister, like, honestly, I don't remember. I don't remember. It was just kind of like all partly because, because it was so drawn knew. out. Yeah. It was like, I knew I personally knew when we were together at Thanksgiving and then, and I had said to my mom, like, if I have cancer, which in my mind, I'm like, I I do. But I said, if I have cancer, can Mike and I come down and live with you guys? Um, because we were not going to be able to afford living in the Bay area, like without having double incomes. Um, so I, other than having double incomes, it's a stretch for it. I know (laughs) when we were looking for apartments, we're like, okay, we can't afford that on the peninsula. Let's go further South, further South. We're like almost in Milpitas. (laughs) Like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's super expensive. But Um, yeah, I don't, 
I don't remember that moment. Okay, interesting. I remember with my, because my sister went with me to the, like, you have lymphoma, we don't know what kind yeah. appointment, and we had gone to TJ Maxx, or maybe it was Marshall's, I don't know, one of those, one of those two stores, beforehand, just kill time, yeah. and um, I just was like, you know what, if I have cancer, I just want to do it in style. Like, we just joke about stuff yeah. like that, I'm like, whatever, so we found all this cute stuff, had to go to my appointment, so we like stashed it away in like the pillow section, which is always a good spot yeah. for those of you listening. <laughs> if you don't want someone to find something, put it in the pillow section. Um, and you've had the appointment, and it, I didn't even cry when she told me like you have lymphoma, partly because I just didn't. I literally didn't even know what lymphoma was. Yeah, like I I didn't even un- understand the lymphatic system like at all. Um, so then afterwards, I was like, well let's go back to TJ Maxx and get that stuff. Like if I'm going to have cancer, I'm doing it with that cute sweater, you know? Well, it's also weird. It's like you get this huge diagnosis and then you expect there to be like something, but it's like, well, what do I do? Like, yeah. I mean, I just have to live. I just keep right. I just the keep world my spins yeah. madly on. Yeah, like you just. Yeah, I mean, what do I do now? You Even know? in the movies and TV, which I think is where we get a lot of our yeah. "this is what cancer looks like" image, it looks like the world stops. Yeah, and you're just like and it, sitting it in doesn't. bed and like, yeah, but it's like I still have to do things. Yeah, like, still gotta go to the store. Yeah, it does. It just continues. Yeah, but and it's weird. It must be weird. Why well, imagine it would be weird to like be going through your day to day, but it's like, now you have this whole, it's almost like having a secret that no, yeah. no one knows. And it's like, I've been a Trader Joe's 20 times and now I'm walking in and it's like, I have cancer. Yeah. Like, and I'm still just trying to do my regular daily thing. Like, right. How do I wrap my head around this? Right. And th- I definitely had those moments, which is just, it's weird to have mm-hmm. those moments and to be a person who has spent so much time and money on trying to be healthy. Yeah. Um, but, and looking healthy to other people, like even the doctors would be like, oh, but you're so young and healthy. I'm like, you do not yeah. know what the word health means if yeah. you think that I am healthy. Like yeah. I am not. Otherwise, I would not be in this position mm-hmm. in the first place. But I remember walking around, especially after treatment was over, because that's when it was really the hardest, walking around in the world and just being like, look at all these people yeah. that are like probably fine they probably would have a clear pet scan if they had one you know and like yeah they don't even look like so many people especially in america don't look like they give two poops about their health yeah and i'm like huh that is just it is an unfair world yeah you know it is well it's interesting let's i mean does it make sense to you like i feel like i would be trying to wrap my head around like how did i develop cancer like and we know we know that brutus played a role right totally yeah, to an extent that was involved. But, like, I mean, you were always relatively, like, you weren't super unhealthy. No. So. No. I think that part of it is also connected to, um, rec- in the last year or so, finding out that I'm compound heterozygous MTHFR. Ah. So, with that, unknowingly, like, I'm absolutely going to do genetic testing on our child whenever it's possible. Because that is something that is so manageable um, and doesn't have to cause a ton of problems as you may have read in dirty jeans. Yeah. I love that book. Um, but shout it doesn't out. have to, yeah. Shout out to Dr. Ben Lynch. Um, it doesn't have to cause all the problems, yeah. but I didn't know about that. Mm-hmm. So it was like, man, if I had known about that and merely taken 
like eaten more folate and taken a methylated B12 supplement, yeah. where would I be? That's interesting to think about. Like, just it's that so little small. Shift. Yeah. Well, but it's yeah. also like the other little shifts, like, you know, like with Beauty Counter and doTERRA. It's like, like, I don't know how long you've been using clean, non-toxic products, right. but it's like, it takes on a whole new meaning when it's like, I had cancer. Like, yeah. this is real, people. Yeah. And it's like, you're a perfect example. It's like, you were young and th- re- lived a relatively healthy life, but it's like, it's too late now. And I think about all these people now who, mm. like, don't give a shit about what they're eating or the products they're using. Like, I'll deal with it later. But I'm like, no, but when you deal with it, it's been too late. Like, what yeah. were you doing the past 20 years? Yeah. Even when I have, like, friends or family members who have GI issues that are like, oh, whatever. I'm like, it's not whatever. Yeah, it's like, this is like the yeah. epicenter of health or disease. <laughs> and I'm like, if you <laughs> have not learned anything from <laughs> yeah. watching my journey, yeah. like, what are, are you not paying attention? Yeah. Like, this matters a lot. No, and that's almost like... I. I feel like that's upsetting when, like, I experienced that and I didn't have cancer, like, on a different, like, with the GI stuff, like, I yeah. see family and friends dealing with this, and I'm like, you need to deal with this, like, the same, I'm like, did you see what I, what happened to me? Yeah. Like, because I was, like, not, you know, paid attention, because otherwise, was my struggle worth anything? If totally. To an example? Yes. For you? Like, Am I not the scapegoat yeah. of GI issues here? <laughs> you know, like, and so totally. it must be the same, it's, like, probably super hard for you when it's, like, you battle this, overcame it, and then it, when you're seeing people around you, like, not care, and you're like, hello. And it is hard, I will say, it is really hard to care mm-hmm. when you do not yet have a life-threatening disease. Yeah, it, it is, and but it's, it's like... And it's preventative, obviously, like, yeah. I am so pro-preventative everything, mm-hmm. but it's it just takes a very unique personality, I think, to be preventative before you have this scary diagnosis slapped on you. Yeah takes a lot of awareness it does take a lot of awareness yeah so yeah I it's an interesting journey and I I totally have blocked out telling people I don't even remember the moment of telling Mike Mm -hmm. um I think it was just there was like a shock it's just yeah I mean I get that it's just interesting I thinking like I mean do you feel at peace with like I feel like for me I would just like with my gut issues I'm like okay where did it start like what caused it like and I feel like cancer is something where it's like you can't it's not like a parasite where you can be like that was what I ate that was where I was versus with cancer it's like I don't really know like well there's so many factors yeah there could be so many little things adding together which is why every little piece counts and it's like at what level is it at what level is it chance or just being chosen for that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the HSP stuff actually plays into this a lot Mm -hmm. as we have learned the hard way many times about how much our emotions impact our physiology. Um, I, it took me a very long time to even recognize that I was feeling other people's stuff and not just mine, even like walking down the street in Seattle. Um, cause I did my undergrad there and lived there for a few years and I had no ability to differentiate at that point. So like walking down the street, I would like pick up really heavily on someone else's stuff, yeah. even, even suicidal thoughts. Wow. Like I would be feeling all of that. And I'm like, where is this coming from? Mm-hmm. And not realizing, oh, that's not mine. Mm-hmm. And what do I, what do I do when I feel someone else's stuff? I have to learn to set it down somewhere. Like, and I, I used to teach yoga back when I was healthier and 
I would talk with my students about that of like, whatever you have carried in here, I want you to imagine that you are holding it. Mm -hmm. It's right in front of you. You're looking at it. And then I want you to walk across the room and set it on the shelf. Like Mm -hmm. it's not yours to carry that. And I just hadn't learned how to do that. So I think the, and even detoxing from my own emotions, now understanding like MTHFR, such a huge thing for us mother effers is that like negative emotions are really hard to get rid of. And we tend to be ruminators, which I absolutely do. And life, I mean, life as an HSP, especially when you don't fully understand how to do that well, is very stressful. Um, And I would be feeling my body holding on to things even after like a weird interaction at the grocery store. Like I'd feel it in my chest and I'm like, what is going on? Why am I feeling this? And then a few minutes later, it would dawn on me like, oh, I had this really unpleasant interaction with this person. Or it could even be a look or a feeling that I got from them. Um, So learning how to detox emotions has been interesting as well, which I have a lot of practice at doing because being so heavily in the allopathic medicine world, I'm having frustrating interactions Mm -hmm. with people regularly, Mm -hmm. you know? You know, it's interesting because I think this also, it reminds me of like, do you remember when we were at NTA that weekend and like we were practicing the functional evaluation and like we talked about this. Oh yeah. This is a lot like physically and emotionally and like, I mean, we had like we we left right, and I remember oh, yeah. like, we, like we left out that room and like you were crying and then I, I was could crying. not stop. Yeah, yeah, and I remember just that moment was so like pivotal for me. I was mm-hmm. like, this is like, and I think because you're so aware and you're like, this is too much, like yeah. physically and emotionally. But that whole experience, like we leave those workshop weekends not understanding, like why do I feel so drained? People don't. So yeah, drained. Like, I feel like I just got literally someone sucked the soul out of me. Yeah. Like, but what were we doing? And it's because it's such an intense, like transfer of yeah. energy and emotions and something like touching someone like that yeah. is so much more than just what it seems to be on the surface. Totally. Like, I don't know. And even sitting with clients in their, in their own mess. Mm -hmm. Like I, when I'm doing info calls with clients, I'm, you know, starting to tweak how I represent what even is nutritional therapy and Mm -hmm. what does it look like to work with me? Um, because I don't want them to think this is about your food. Like, no, this actually isn't about your food. I'm going to ask you questions about, yeah, yeah, I'm going to ask you questions about who you are and how you manage stress and what your relationship is like with your partner that might make you uncomfortable. Like Mm -hmm. I need to understand who you are as a person Mm -hmm. because this isn't just about food. This is very complicated. Yeah. And it can be tough as a practitioner too, because if you get to the point, I definitely reached that point. That's where I did like stop because I was like I'm taking on everyone's stuff and now this is affecting me like definitely you know what I mean and I'm not detoxing like physically emotionally enough Um, yeah and it's about knowing that line with clients too yeah Um, but yeah that's a hard one even (laughs) knowing I mean I'm similar to you in meeting someone and knowing within 30 seconds is this the jam or is it not um, I had a client that I had accepted who even in my info call with her, I knew this is not a good fit. Like yeah. this is not going to be good. 
And um, it wasn't, <laughs> which is nice to have that confirmation and just the reminder of like, I can trust myself. But I had been, I had accepted her as a client from like a place of financial necessity. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up really regretting it because I had to work through all the stuff after every time that I saw her. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I need to bounce on my trampoline. I need to watch Jim Gaffigan. Yeah. I need to lift some weights. I need to like do a thousand things yeah. just to like wash off this difficult interaction. Yeah. Like just like we are not for everyone. Everyone is not for us and that's okay. Absolutely. And I think that's really important for any practitioners. Like yes. listening. I, cause I used to do it too. I just was, would take anyone and now I'm like, um, no, like this isn't a good fit. Yeah, this isn't a good fit. You know, I'm yeah. like very protecting my energy because also it's like you as a practitioner can't give everything you need right. to. Like, or I, I would with certain clients, I'm like, I'm going into this feeling anxious because yeah. I know how I'm going to feel after. Totally. And I can't be fully there for someone yeah. like that. So, yeah, you need someone else. Yeah. But okay, I want to get into um, chemo a little bit. Yeah. Which fun I'm times. sure could be like five hours but I do want to touch on it and like kind of touch on the whole side of like you know you have cancer where do we go from there because there are so many biohacky things totally to do. there's dietary changes to make there's yeah now fasting like like you know I mean chemo itself is oh so a debate. yeah um, yeah so you're faced with this and now it's like what do you decide to do and why So Dr. Xavier, who is my oncologist down here in San Diego, um, said, you know, typically we would do a regimen called R-CHOP for, it basically is what's typically used for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma Mm -hmm. because of the two Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin's. Um, non-Hodgkin's is the more aggressive one. And so they need to like hit it really hard. But the R of R-CHOP like tackles a specific antibody that I didn't have. Mm -hmm. And she was smart and saw that in my pathology results, whereas Dr. Ding Dong did not see that. So he had recommended that regimen, which I knew would not be effective. And so talk about feeling like a badass. (laughs) So I'm in this meeting with him and what they refer to as like the war room. And he's telling me like, so there's Hodgkin's lymphoma? and not Hodgkin's I'm like bro you need to talk faster I have already googled all yeah. this trash and so he's like so we would do our chop regimen and I said you know I just want to double check and like rituxan tackles like a specific antibody and I, I I said I think it's CD20 or 30 I can't remember which but I said I am negative in that antibody and he's like Huh, let me just double check. Oh my and God. so I am not a type A person typically, but I had like all my pathology results yeah. in chronological order, every lab test ever, like in a folder. And he's like, Oh, sure enough, you're right. Like in that case, Jesus we Christ. would do, yeah. But it's humans, like, he's uh, a human. Yeah. It's like you make mistakes. But this is why it's scary though, because Karen, most people are not like you. Like, yeah. And so it's like most people are just putting their health in their doctor's hands. Right. Without questioning yeah, anything. Without questioning. And that yeah. is so specific that I wouldn't have thought to question that mm-hmm. um I wouldn't have thought to question that at all mm-hmm. but thankfully I had that info so the chemo regimen I ended up doing was called epoch mm-hmm. and it's a five day 96 hour infusion so you're you get a port you're connected to chemo for five days straight in the hospital some people do it outpatient but I have no idea how they do it outpatient the chemo pump beeped all the time And nurses had to come in and reset it because it thought there was a bubble in the line, like all kinds of stuff. It just would have been a nightmare. So I did inpatient because I didn't have time. Mm -hmm. Um, She was like, you know, I would not wait more than three weeks if I were you to start chemo when I initially saw Dr. Xavier. And 
that was that's obviously a very scary thing to hear like did you ever consider like i don't want to do chemo not at that point um i went through round one and didn't do anything special with my diet or anything that was kind of like my control group so to speak which i didn't do that intentionally Mm -hmm. but i just was overwhelmed and didn't make any changes and then um a few days before round two was supposed to start because I'd be in the hospital for five days and then home for two weeks to recover. I felt like crap the entire two weeks. Like within literally minutes of leaving the hospital, my whole body felt like a bruise. It hurt to lay in bed. I'm such a physical touch person. And I would be like, Mike, don't even rub my arm. Like I'm in so much pain. And I had terrible constipation, which as a GRDS survivor. I'm going to call myself that. I had never dealt with constipation in my whole life, which was like, whoa, this is so weird. And had a lot of really unpleasant issues that came because of that. But um, I had horrible throat pain and headaches and I just felt terrible. Um, And a few days before round two started, Facebook, you know how they're always, always listening, (laughs) um, popped up this uh, banner about the truth about cancer, that like documentary web series. And I watched the first one and I just started, the wheels were turning. I was like, oh my gosh, they're interviewing all of these oncologists and MDs all over the world that literally have said I would never use chemotherapy with my patients, like ever. That is the absolute last thing I would ever do. The detrimental effects of it are just, they're crazy. They're insurmountable. Like it's insane. And that was my only moment of freaking out and being like, what am I even doing? Like uh, when Mike got That's home, just what you want to hear right after you, I know right before I'm about to start like my second round. And when Mike got home, I was like, I'm kind of freaking out right now. Like, I think there might be other options and I don't know if I want to do chemo. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a researcher, but also was in the state of stress where like researching was not his number one priority, whereas it totally was mine. Um, and he's, he freaked out. Like we got in an argument about it. I was just like, I'm not saying definitively that I don't want to do it, but I'm just saying it seems like there are other options that are less toxic. And what if I can like actually protect my organs from all these issues? Because some of the, some of the drugs that I was, um, one in particular that I was on has really cardiotoxic effects, which sometimes don't pop up for years later. Mm-hmm. So that's a scary thing. Um, and so, yeah, I had a naturopath in Seattle that I had seen when I lived up there and he, his partner of the clinic that he had used to work at had done like all of what I hope it, I don't want to sound ignorant saying this, but they referred to them as cancer vaccines. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically it was like the very beginning, it sounded like of immunotherapy where you were taking like a patient's own cells and injecting them to help their immune system fight the cancer that got shut down, of course. Um, it was this big news story. They wiped it all out. People had been like, I was given a few months to live and I've been alive for like a year and a half. They were, it was just this huge story. So when I thought, who do I, who do I go to about this? He came to mind because of his connection with this cancer naturopath. And I was like, Dr. Matt, I am freaking out right now. I'm like, I start my second round of chemo tomorrow Mm -hmm. and I'm so freaked out about like organ toxicity and how to protect my healthy cells. Um, and he's so great. He like talked to me about therapeutic fasting, which I had never heard of. I mean, I'd heard of fasting, but not the therapeutic benefits of it. 
And so he told me about that. And I said, well, I'm in the hospital for five days. So I probably can't do like a full blown water fast. Mm-hmm. But then he told me about the ketogenic diet and I went bananas researching the ketogenic diet. And I mean, at that point, I really knew like next to nothing about it. All I knew was like eat fat. So I just ate a ton of fat. I made like this cashew sourdough bread that I took with me to the hospital and like ordered bacon and just like, I don't even remember what else I was eating. But then when I got out of the hospital, my side effects, that recovery round were probably like 50 to 60% less than they had been after round one, even though my chemo dose had been increased. So Epoch is like a dose adjusted chemo. Mm -hmm. So every time it gets increased as you go, um, I felt so much better. It was bizarre. And I stuck to the ketogenic diet. And once I like decide I'm going to do something, I'm usually pretty hardcore about it, um, which is part of why I named my cancer. Um, I named it Lawrence. And I needed to be able to have something where like in those moments of weakness mm-hmm. with sugar, for instance, I could be like, do I want to feed Lawrence or do I want to feed myself? Yeah. Like that's that really was, I mean, the high stakes yeah. kind of situation that I was in. Um, so yeah, I did the ketogenic diet and then I read a lot about therapeutic fasting, um, via Dr. Walter Longo. Are you familiar with his work? Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. I was just like reading every study. I'm like, this is so crazy. Our bodies are so crazy. Um, and so I did six rounds total. And for the last four, I was doing, um, well, almost completely the ketogenic diet, but I also fasted beforehand for 48 to 60 hours, Okay, like water, basically water only. If I felt myself like really getting low and feeling like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to pass out. I would like have a spoonful of coconut oil or mm-hmm. coconut butter to just kind of bring myself back a little bit. Um, but there was only a 60% chance of going into full remission after six rounds of chemo, wow. which there are cancers that have a lot worse prognosis than that. And I totally understand that. Um, but at the same time for someone who was diagnosed at 28, mm-hmm. being told your chances are basically one in two was like not good enough for me, yeah. which is why I was kind of like challenge accepted. I'm going to do all this stuff. Um, so I did the fasting and then um, I actually went into full remission after four rounds of chemo from this very aggressive cancer. And that was such a cool moment to like every time I would go do chemo, I would check in with my oncologist at the cancer center first. And then I didn't do chemo there because that was just outpatient. I'd have to go to the hospital like on this med surge floor, which Mm was I love Scripps Mercy in general. I feel like in a lot of ways they saved my life. That is not a very nice hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just kind of ghetto. And a med surge floor is just a lot of interesting characters yeah. on there. And like the chemo that they do on a med surge floor inpatient is usually like you're so far gone that this is our last ditch effort or like palliative oh care. God. So for me to be on that floor was like really unique. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, it was really unique, but we went in and saw my mom was with me because I had to go really early and Mike is not a morning person. So my mom was with me, check in with Dr. Xavier and she's like the most optimistic person in the world. She deems herself that and I totally agree. And she was, before we even got into her office, she was like, well, good news all around, your scan's clear. And I was like, 
what yeah and my mom and i just both started weeping and we're like oh my gosh this is so amazing yeah. like i can't believe i'm cancer free it was it was crazy so i still did two rounds after that rounds five and six just because that's like what the world health organization says that you mm. need to do um which was do we trust very them, upsetting <laughs> i was like but i don't have cancer and now yeah. you're only killing my healthy cells like yeah. that's all that's being destroyed mm-hmm. and those rounds were honestly a lot harder on my body um and plus my weight was getting so low yeah yeah it was it was definitely challenging but that was kind of the moment and I was like man this is a big deal and when I went into the hospital finally because I'd have to wait for like sometimes hours and hours for chemo bags to actually be ready to be hung Mm -hmm. um when I went into the hospital and told all the nurses, cause I like bonded with all of them at I'm this sure point, you, you know, I'm sure you I was like, we're like everyone. friends with yeah. all of them. I'd go back and visit them. Um, but I told them that and I was just like, I was trying to understand like how rare is this like to go into remission? Yeah. And I said, do you get to celebrate that with people very often? Yeah. And they're like, we really don't because by the time that they get to this point doing yeah. chemo in the hospital, it's like too late. It gives me chills. Yeah. It was wild. I cried so much that week. I was oh just God. like, I am so thankful. This is such a miracle. Like well, I can't it believe it. It feels so unreal too, because at this point it's like, this has become such a big part of your life. Yeah. And then it's facing that identity crisis of like, I don't have cancer anymore. Yes. Who am I? Slash like, it was a big piece of me and I don't want, I can't forget about it. But I also like, that's a shift in identity. Yeah, it is. It's really weird. It It is a shift in identity. And yet it was still like, but I still have to come and do two more rounds of chemo and feel terrible. Yeah. And that whole thing. But like, yeah, it was so much to process. I did a Facebook Live, which I had never done up until that point. But like right after I got into the hospital and had started chemo and just like started weeping. Mm-hmm. And it was so cool to get to celebrate that with people. And those are the moments that I'm so thankful for social media mm-hmm. to be able to just be like, I get to proclaim this amazing thing. Yeah. And then I was actually really shocked because like 10,000 people watched it. Wow. I mean, not, I guess it wasn't necessarily 10,000 people, but there were like 10,000 views. That's crazy. I probably gave it like a thousand views myself because <laughs> I just was like, holy crap, this yeah. is not real. Oh like, this is so wild. Is there a way for me to watch that? It's somewhere on Facebook. I'll find it I and send it to you. I would love to see it. Wow. Yeah, I was I so, imagine. I was such a baldy and like yeah. didn't have eyebrows or eyelashes. Well, and... wait, can we just touch on that for a second? Like the, the hair loss, yeah. like emotionally, like, cause well, and you shaved your head before, right? Yeah. So when I was diagnosed, I had like a little cute inverted Bob sort of thing going on. And then I had read all this stuff of like, what I wish I would have known before chemo and people were like, cut your hair mm-hmm. so that it's not long and falling out. So I, I had this sweet friend who worked at a salon and she gifted me a pre chemo haircut. Aww. So I got a pixie cut that was actually a lot like this, yeah. which I had been kind of afraid to get. And it's funny. I had always wanted to have a shaved head also. Oh really? I had had these hair dreams. I was like, yeah. I'm going to grow my hair out. Then I'm going to get a perm. Then I'm going to have dreads. Then I'm going <laughs> to shave my head. Like I just wanted to experience the whole spectrum. Yeah. Um, but shoot, it was so sweet and so weird to sit in the chair and think like, I'm getting this haircut because this is going to fall out. Yeah. And like, that's, you know, I could have done cold caps or whatever, but 
I'm not a person that's like attached to my hair. Um, I know a lot of women are, I've had some cancer survivor friends who have been like, I couldn't look in the mirror for three days. Mm. Like it was just so hard. Um, but I did the pixie cut and was like, okay, I'm just going to rock that. And then it started falling out like two weeks to the day after I started chemo. Mm. And that was a weird feeling. But I think because I wasn't so attached to my hair, I didn't feel like that sad about it. It was just like, okay, here we go. And we had had, we do like fake holidays in my family because we can't always get together for the actual thing. So we were doing like fake Christmas and the whole family was around for fake Christmas. And it was nice to be able to have a pixie cut because like my... Um, I didn't want my niece and nephew to like be freaked out by that. And they eventually saw me bald and it was fine. But um, my niece, oh, you'll love this story. She's the sweetest. So inquisitive, so smart. Mm -hmm. Um, That Thanksgiving when I was like about to be diagnosed, I mostly wore a scarf, but I had the scarf off at one point was helping her go to the bathroom and I wiped her little hiney and she goes, Kiki, you got poop on your neck because my incision had like had oh glue and was kind of dirty and gross looking. And I was like, no, Cabo, I actually don't have poop on my neck. I was like, I have an owie. Yeah. And she just was kind of staring at it. And I was like, what do you think about that? Do you think it hurts? And she's like, no, I don't think it hurts. And I said, oh, how come? Yeah. And she goes, cause God's going to heal it. God. She was like, I had a bug bite on my leg and God healed it. Oh. So we referred to my very aggressive cancer yeah. as my bug bite. Oh. And I'm sure that at some point when she realizes it was cancer and not a bug bite, yeah. she'll be like kind of shocked because why would I need to go to the hospital so yeah. much for a bug bite? Yeah. Um, but she was just so sweet about it. So it was nice to be able to have a pixie cut, not have mm-hmm. them see me be bald. And then the day that they left was when it started falling out. Um, and I'm a big India RE fan. I don't know if you listen to her. Mm-hmm. She's just like seeing her live has been literally life changing for me. Okay. Um, one of her songs is called I am not my hair. And she talks through like all these different hairstyles that she's had and like, um, how this is not who I am. Like I am the soul that lives within this whole thing. And I've always been like, love it. Um, and then her, the second verse is about a woman who loses her hair because of breast cancer and chemotherapy. And, um, the lyrics are like, she promised God if she was to survive, she would enjoy every day of her life. Um, on national television, her diamond eyes are sparkling, like this whole thing, Mm -hmm. painting baldness as like really being a beautiful thing. And so we cranked that song while Mike shaved it. I got a mohawk on the way down. Um, And it was, it was a really empowering moment for me of like, I'm going to battle right now. Yeah. Like I just transformed from being like, regular carry on to like GI Jane carry on yeah. and it's game time. That oh was like God. a game time moment for I me. I love it. Yeah. I think that I honestly think that so much of just your attitude towards it is what served you well. And like, yes, like get like overcoming it. You know, it's like yeah. when people take it on and are so sad and feel like they're just giving up from the beginning. It's like, right. You gotta, you gotta go for it. Yeah. You know, which is kind of, you either have that or you don't. Mm-hmm. 
is the interesting thing. I talk with my clients, my oncology clients about that too, of like your mindset in this matters because it impacts your body. Yes. Your body knows, are we fighting this or are we giving up? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It just knows that. Well, you can rock a pixie cut Thank and you. I love your hair. You and I loved having a buzz. Yeah. yeah. It was actually like my favorite haircut that I've ever had. Amazing. I loved it. Would you ever grow your hair out again? Um, I, I mean, it's like, so easy right now that I'm like, I, I feel like s- your personality is too like, like you can't have just like normal like hair. <laughs> like, I feel like you have to make a statement. <laughs> I, I don't know. I never felt like that until I had a buzz. And then I realized like when I see people that have a buzz, I'm like, oh, wow, you're like really making a statement. And then I had a buzz and I was like, this is actually the best. Like I felt more like beautiful and feminine uh-huh. with a buzz than I ever have with any haircut. Why do you think that was? Um, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I think it was partly like what was going on internally. Mm-hmm. I felt just so like empowered and confident and like I earned that, mm. you know, this wasn't just all of a sudden I'm like, I'm going to shave my head. And people would be like, Oh, I love your haircut. Mm-hmm. What made one woman, she was treading so lightly. I could tell that she like, couldn't tell why yeah. my hair was like that. She's like, so what made you choose that haircut? And I was like, cancer did. Uh, and just kind of dropped yeah. the cancer bomb and just see what happens. But I'm like, and I love it. Yeah. I love it so much. And it was easy. Like I, my health in and of itself is so high maintenance mm-hmm. that like, I don't need my hair to be high maintenance. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing that yeah. are. That's you know? true. Yeah. Like I don't need that. Oh my God. Okay. Well, okay. Just like recapping. So like for you, you know, you did the chemo, you did keto, you did fasting, um, and like, were, were there any other like big things that you feel like helped? I, I mean, did obviously, like castor oil packs, okay. detox baths, yeah, using essential oils, paying attention to all your products. E- in general. I wasn't actually a, oh, really? as much at that point. That was oh. like a post cancer okay. thing for me. But I also, I mean, what I was using was probably not that bad. Yeah, it was like you know, bare minerals yeah. on the yeah. scale of, it's also you know. about the load, but in general, right and now right. it's just like, now you're so much more conscious yes. of everything. And at that point I, I actually did still wash my head when I didn't have hair because I was just like, what do you even do in the shower? If you're yeah. not shampooing your hair, like, I mean, I wonder that yeah. so weird. Um, so I would still, I would still do that, but <laughs> I, I wasn't really paying that much attention. I made my own face wash at that point. So I was using like baking soda and mm-hmm. coconut oil and some essential oils yeah but I use like a lot of essential oils for pain management especially that was more helpful than anything else that what they essential gave me. oils did you use um I used frankincense peppermint lavender those were like my three go-tos okay that were super helpful okay yeah and then are- I mean now it I've just acquired so many more over all of them over the years that yeah. like I kind of feel like I feel like I'm the epitome of like, I would help for that. Honestly, you know? if you guys ever need help with this on toils, Carrie Ann literally knows all the tricks. I love when you share. I mean, I'm you like, gotta oh, learn them. What are you doing today? So I'm, I'm referred I mean, to I as need these earrings now. Yes, I know. Right. I am referred to as apothecary Ann in oh, my household because it's it. like, Oh, you have a sinus infection. Let me make you this. Yeah. Oh, you have dermatitis. Let me make you a spray. <laughs> I love it. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's like, I mean, I want to, there's so many other things I want to ask you about, but like, we can't, we'll have to come back on yes. maybe after you relocate, we can yeah. do a check in, but totally. I just want to wrap up with like, I mean, you have that incredible story and like 
you survived and you are here and thriving and um, inspiring so many people. And then you found out that you got pregnant. (laughs) And literally the day you told me, I was like the whole day, the whole day I felt like I was in a haze. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so funny. (laughs) Your reaction was so Christina. I had been waiting. I was going to post on social media that day, but I was like, but I'm going to see Christina for lunch. And like, I need to see her reaction in person. I'm so honored. Like, I am dead I'm like oh it's so typical you <laughs> that response well I've joked I've joked with a lot of people about like I switched over to all non-toxic products in the summer like this last summer and Mike and I were both following like a lower carbohydrate higher fat no refined sugar kind of diet so I mean it's basically like a preconception protocol Mm-hmm. that's what people do mm-hmm. you know and we were doing that just for general health and inflammation not for like conception by any means um but yeah it happens so there is definitely something to it and I I mean the chemo regimen that I did only had like a 20% chance of causing infertility mm-hmm. so on top of like the 20% chance of just the general population let's say that puts me at like 40 to 50% mm-hmm. I thought like uh eh. If we're supposed to have kids, we'll have kids. Mm -hmm. I didn't even, especially post-cancer, I wasn't like, I really want kids. Yeah. I felt like, frick, I am way too tired to ever have kids. Okay. Like, I have way too much still going on. Yeah. Um, But I had said when they were like, oh, do you want to freeze your eggs or whatever? I didn't have time to freeze my eggs anyways. And I was like, you know what? If we're supposed to have kids, we'll have kids. And if we're not, we won't. Like, it's Mm -hmm. whatever. And apparently we're supposed to because (laughs) baby Jay, baby Johansson is coming. He's been kicking a lot in this podcast. He's excited. He's like, oh, all the stories. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I mean, when you were telling me, you're like, I just have like, I don't believe I'm. I don't that was I'm so pregnant. early too, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, I guess not that early. I was in denial for a really I mean, long do you time. You're pregnant now. I absolutely do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely just a, a larger do now. parasite. In yes, there. <laughs> it totally is. It totally is. Yeah, it took me a long time. I was in a lot of denial because we were not planning on this, and we were like really actively trying to prevent pregnancy um, without like going into detail. I was tracking and we were using protection and it was just like, I, I, this doesn't make sense basically outside of just like, if it's meant to be, it'll be. Yeah. It just happened. So it took a long time for me to be like, okay, I'm pregnant. It's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. He's healthy, which is great. Yeah. I feel like it's just like the ultimate full circle. Like you were put through that for a reason. Like you were saying, like there was a greater purpose and it's like, this is God being like, yes like, yes like and it's this tap on the shoulder yeah. of like you're not in charge yeah because I really had been living like I was like oh if I take my temperature religiously and track it and know when I'm ovulating and use protection like then that's how you don't have kids mm-hmm. like that's how you don't get pregnant yeah you seem to get that tap <laughs> I know <laughs> I have got to start listening stop. better so I don't get these taps on the shoulder stop acting like you can be in charge classic eight i'm like i'm so in control i mean it is this greater like existential like thought of like do we have control over anything like how much can we control like it's a little scary it is and like how much is just like this is the plan this is meant to be yeah i I mean it's just a larger oh yeah i can't even imagine how you must feel i'd be like what i know sometimes i forget and then i look down and i'm like and I was, I'm able to like see him kicking now. Yeah. 
um, kicking, moving, whatever. I don't even know what he's doing in there, having a party, and see it on the outside, and I'm like, whoa, this is so crazy that there's a human growing in here. It's it's really wild. Oh my god, I'm and I'm sure yeah, you it's have so wild. like. I mean, I guess because you didn't really need to research cancer anymore. Like, you now you need yeah. to research pregnancy. Well, and to be honest, I really haven't that much. <laughs> Partly because I'm like, well, we've got plenty of time. Yeah. And it's so, I mean, it is, in a way, it still is a life or death kind of thing. Because what I do and eat and think and all of that totally has an impact on him. But the stakes don't feel, like, as high. Yeah. So I'm just like... I'll have time to research. And especially when I was in denial, I'm like, until I have an ultrasound. And even at the first ultrasound, I was like, no, this is not real. Eight weeks is like this <laughs> tiny little nugget. Yeah. But now I can like see his face and his nose and he's so cute. Oh and we're like, I can't wait to meet him. And What's he going to be like? How far along are you now? 24 weeks. Damn. I am 24 weeks. He is 26 uh, weeks size wise. Okay. Okay. So Interesting. Viking baby. I'm curious. Along. Um, after, after you like found out that the cancer was gone and like kind of since then in terms of diet, did you stick with keto or like, what's your opinion? You know, I, let's see, I've shifted around a lot. Mm -hmm. I did for a while. And actually the only time that I had to be hospitalized after chemo was when I got out of the hospital. I was like, I just want gluten-free pizza. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. I didn't know how much your immune system is impacted mm -hmm. by something like a ketogenic diet because that's the only time I had to be hospitalized. And I should, I had like a 50% chance mm -hmm. of being hospitalized after each round. So it's kind of miraculous that it only happened once. And because that was the only time I wasn't doing keto, I'm like, it's, that's totally why. Yeah. Um, but once I finished chemo and started working with a naturopath down in San Diego, I was like, I got to figure out this gut situation because it feels like that's what got me into this mess in the first yeah. place. So like, I want to heal that, yeah. um, and started dealing with SIBO. So doing like the whole low FODMAP gig, mm -hmm. which I know it's like yeah. a toss up I've learned so much from you <laughs> listening to you talk about it. I'm like, I don't even know what the right way is to go. Um, but I was doing low FODMAP and felt like I was going to just rip my eyes yeah. out. I was like, I yeah. cannot even. And then after like three or four months of that, the SIBO still wasn't gone. Mm -hmm. So over the summer I was like, I'm just going to eat whatever I want. Mm -hmm. And not whatever yeah, I want is not eat. even that liberal. Yeah, like in the first place, you yeah. know, it's still like gluten free, dairy free, yeah. no refined sugar, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Um, but I felt like I was living the high life. I'm like I'm eating an avocado and sauerkraut. <laughs> Let myself go. Um, um, but doing like slightly more intentional, just about like doing high, yeah. higher fats. Um, and then pre like post finding out I was pregnant. I don't even know what I'm doing. Yeah. You're just like, like I'm, I'm trying to nourish this yeah. child, but also like not digesting fat as well. So mm -hmm. have been like having more carbs than I normally would, mm -hmm. um, which I'm trying to just be okay with. Yeah. I mean, you, you just know, gotta do it. Seasons of life. Things change. Yes. Oh they totally God. do. Damn. You have such an inspiring story. Like, thanks girl. I mean, I just can't even, oh, God, like, you really came back from that and you're like, I am pregnant. Yeah. Baby's coming out of me. It's so crazy. Like ultimate success. Story. When I really think about that, 
like I had a baby shower a couple weeks ago and I was getting ready for it and just sitting on the side of my bed, like feeling this human inside of me moving. And similar to how the grief would hit me like out of nowhere, the gratitude sometimes hits me out of nowhere too. And it used to be so frequent because I was so much closer to treatment. But now that I'm a little bit further out, it's, it's strangely easy to forget not really forget, but like to just become detached from what you've gone through Mm -hmm. because the world still goes on. And I just had that moment of like, oh my gosh, I had cancer. Mm -hmm. I fought for my life. Mm -hmm. I went into medically induced menopause. Mm -hmm. I came out of medically induced menopause and then have worked on my tail off on healing and prevention and thank God had a clear CT scan in July, which has been really helpful going into this knowing like I'm still in remission. Um, and now this human life is growing inside of here and he seems to be very healthy, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Like mm-hmm. that is so, just feels so significant. And I, there are a lot of difficulties about it too. And I like share that in social media and with whoever asked me questions about it, but It's been cool to be able to share my pregnancy journey and have like other survivors that follow me be like, oh my gosh, this is so hopeful for me because I'm 26 and was just diagnosed with this and like really want to have kids. Mm -hmm. And for them to see that is possible, like babies after cancer is possible Mm -hmm. and it requires a lot of intentionality, I think, and that it's not a guarantee even with the intentionality, um, but that it it can happen. Yeah. People need that hope. Yeah, definitely. Especially when they're going through it. And like when you're going through something, it's just about like that camaraderie and like uh, someone else gets it because it's such a tough headspace. Like other people, you know, yeah. I don't know. But you need someone to be like, I, I've been in yeah. your shoes. Not the exact same shoes, but like same kind of style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I like, get it. Oh my God. Damn. Well, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing all of this. Yeah, like, thank you. Uh, I have so many more questions, but we got we need to wrap up. Yeah. But honestly, it's such an honor like knowing you. Like I'm so proud of you and you inspire me so much. Oh, and, thank like, you. I just uh you're just one of the brightest people on this planet. So thank you. I just love seeing this and I cannot wait to meet the baby. Yeah. Like, come up to be, Spokane. Oh, That's where we're moving. Spokane. Okay. Well, tell everybody um, where they can find more from you, interact with you if they want to work with you, like yes. all the places. Okay. So on the gram, you can find me at Carrie Ann the first and it's spelled K A R I. A-N-N-E, and then the first is um, spelled out. And on the World Wide Web, you can find me at inspirawellnesscollective.com. So Inspira is I-N-S-P-I-R-A. She inspires. There you go. She always does. That's always been like, I've loved that word because in Spanish, it means she or he inspires. Mm -hmm. And I love getting to work with people and like using personal story to inspire them, but also knowing that like inspired people inspire other people Mm -hmm. and like creating kind of a domino effect. So absolutely. You certainly do that. Well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast. Thank you so much to the lovely Carrie Ann Johansson for coming on the podcast, sharing her story, sharing her wisdom. I appreciate her so much. I love her so much. So make sure you guys let her know if you enjoyed this episode and if it made you feel some type of way because it definitely did for me. I really admire Carrie Ann's vulnerability and strength. And I'm so grateful that she was willing to share 
her story on this show. You can find her on Instagram at Carrie Ann the First. You can find her on her website, InspiraWellnessCollective.com. Everything will be in the show notes. And be sure to share this episode on social media as well if you enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning in again to this episode. Please leave a rating and a review on iTunes if you haven't already. It helps me get the word out about the podcast. And I would also love it if you join our Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe, where you can meet other listeners. That's going to be it this time. I hope you guys have a beautiful day and I will chat with you again very soon. Bye.